Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com. Welcome to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, the death toll from Hurricane Ian has passed 100, the majority of those victims in Florida, while the projected path of the storm shifted in the days leading to Ian's landfall in Lee County. There are questions about the timing of evacuation orders. That's right, Matt. Now, floods that Ian brought in its wake have driven residents throughout southwest and central Florida from their homes. In storm-ravaged communities, people have been assessing the damage. Here's Ashley Aliaga. She was riding her bike around San Carlos Island near Fort Myers Beach just to see who needed help. Oh, we were in shock. There was no other reaction to have but in shock, you know. I mean, um, like I said, you know, like we were very blessed that our houses were in, like, the condition they were. Yeah, we lost, we, it, there was flooding, we lost part of the roof, but nothing compared to everybody else around us, you know. Um, and, like, like, the material things don't matter, but the people do. And that's, you know, that's what hurts the most, to see all the damage around. John Royds and his wife, Cynthia, evacuated from their home in Northport, Sarasota County, because of all the flooding. It's very stressful. Uh, it affects you mentally, physically, and it's just very emotionally draining uh, to see, you know, what you have possibly go down the tubes, uh, either flood or blow it away or what have you. And the thought of having to start all over again at 75 years old is just devastating to you. Seniors, man, they have been especially hard hit in this tragedy. Well, here is some good news. The power is actually back on across most of the state, but there's a big but. As of Thursday night, more than 100,000 people in Florida remain without power, most of them in Lee and Charlotte counties. That's right, Melissa. Still some work to be done in the recovery and repair effort there. Well, on the Florida Roundup today, we are talking about that recovery effort. What's next for communities affected by Ian? We want to hear from you. How is your community coping more than a week after the storm? Give us a call, 305-995-1800. Or send us a tweet. We're at Florida Roundup. Your calls and tweets in just a bit. First, though, let's check in with reporters who have been covering the aftermath of Ian. Mike Braun is the managing editor with WGCU in Fort Myers. Hi, Mike. Good afternoon. And Jessica Mazaros is reporting for WUSF in Tampa. Hey, Jessica. Hi, thanks for having me. We'll go to Jessica in a moment, but first, Mike Braun, you really are uh, at sort of the ground zero of Ian. What's the latest from Fort Myers today? Uh, well, we're like you, like you said, we're getting uh, water and power. Not everybody has that. Um, the coastal barrier islands pretty much are going to get it last because their infrastructure was totally destroyed. That's going to have to be built from the ground up. It's uh, it, it just depends where you lived. If you live next to a river or a tributary or a stream, or if you were a little higher, which, I mean, there's not too much high ground around here. So it covered a lot of territory and really just kind of blanketed the area with its surge. Absolutely. Now, Lee County officials have been taking some questions about when they issued evacuation orders and whether they should have told people to get out sooner. What are you hearing from the community about how county leaders there handled the storm? Again, it depends where you live. Um, and that's, I mean, we're looking into that. A lot of media outlets are looking into that specific topic. Uh, it's something that's going to take a while to, to parse out. Um, the, the problem is we didn't, the last time we were hit was Irma. That, that was 2017. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, people kind of get complacent. We have a lot of new people down here who really aren't used to hurricanes and storms of this magnitude. So even if they had issued a, you know, get out of there, it, there's questions whether people would have listened to that. I mean, there are people who, who still rode out the storm even after the evacuation orders were given. So that's, that's kind of a question that's going to take a long time to figure out. Yeah, not to mention some people, uh, it, evacuating isn't as easy for some folks as it might seem, right? Oh, of course. I mean, what do you leave behind? Do you, you leave animals behind? Do you leave uh, heirlooms behind? Do you just put yourself in a car and go? Um, it, it, you know, we're talking about human beings, and human beings aren't known for really being logical in this kind of a decision. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it, it's anybody's guess whether they definitely would have gone, the number of people who should have gone if they would order the evacuation earlier. All right. Now, let me ask you as well, Mike, some of the hardest hit communities around Fort Myers included a mobile home community on San Carlos Island. How are those residents faring today? Uh, Well, they are just trying to figure out, I mean, those mobile homes, I mean, they get soaked. We had 12 to 15 and more surge, which covered, I mean, a lot of times it covered the entire mobile home. That means the water and all the stuff that's in the water soaked into their homes. Uh, there's a lot of hard decisions that are going to have to be made by a lot of people, whether, you know, are you going to stay here? Are you going to try and rebuild? Are you going to try and get a new trailer? Uh, and it's not just San Carlos Island. There's lots of mobile home parks and regular homes that were inundated. There's a lot of issues for people to try and figure out connected to Ian especially because the, sur- the surge is what really got us here, not wind, mostly surge. I, I don't know if you saw the one video from Fort Myers Beach that showed the progression. That's pretty mm-hmm. much how it happened everywhere. It went from nothing, dry pavement, to being even over the camera's lens, and the camera was about maybe 15 feet above the ground. Wow. We'll go to your calls here on the Florida Roundup statewide as we spend the hour again this Friday looking at the cleanup from Hurricane Ian. So, Mike, what are the biggest needs for Fort Myers now and surrounding areas more than a week out from this storm hitting? Wow. Um, probably pretty much everything. Uh, I know I, I have a sister who lives in Illinois, and she asked me what, what I need. I said, myself, I was pretty lucky. I had no damage to my house. But everybody else, I mean, you, everything from basic necessities, uh, clothing, furniture, blankets, uh, people still need that kind of stuff. We have lots of people who are still in shelters uh, who may have not been able to even go home and see what kind of damage has been done to their home. So, And this is going to you know, last for a long time, weeks. So it's, it's not just a, a one week and we're done. We're going to be needing this kind of stuff now probably into December, probably into the new year, I would imagine, that we'll need stuff to get people back on their feet. Can you tell us really quickly, Mike, before we turn mm-hmm. to Jessica, what's the easiest way for people listening right now to donate and help? I would imagine um, Samaritan's Purse, uh, um, Red Cross, Goodwill, any of the aid agencies out there likely could help you get things here. Um, you want to make sure that you're not getting taken, that uh, you, you don't be giving money just to anybody out there who says, hey, I'm collecting money for hurricane relief. Be very careful how you're doing that kind of stuff so it actually gets to the people who need it. Thank you, Mike. He's Mike Braun, Managing Editor with WGCU in Fort Myers. We're turning now to Jessica Mazaros with WSF. She spent the weekend talking to residents in some of the hardest-hit communities. Jessica, give us a sense of the scope of the damage in places that you visited. Like, What were people telling you about what they'd seen, what they'd experienced, and, and what they'd lost to the storm as well? Yeah, so the first uh, place that I visited was Bonita Springs, which uh, surrounding it, and uh, particularly on Bonita Beach Road, heading toward Barefoot Beach, um, that's surrounded by the Estero Bay, and then also, of course, it's just a few blocks away from the Gulf. And in driving into that area, the first thing that really struck me was just boats everywhere that they shouldn't be. I mean, it was pretty obvious that the storm surge quickly picked up all of these different boats, moved them around. Um, there were cars that obviously had floated into railings. Um, it was just quite a sight to see. And then uh, speaking to business owners there, particularly along Bonita Beach, one man in particular, uh, Jason Cross 
Schlosser. He owns a store called 8-Bit Hall of Fame, and he you know, had collected these classic video games from the 70s to the PS5, and he lost everything. Um, according to his neighbors who were in uh, nearby condos, saw that the water had filled up the entire building, and um, so all of his uh, equipment and all of the, the, the gaming systems and the games themselves were you know, basically corroded with this salt water, and it had rusted out some of the systems, and so he's basically saying he's going to have to leave to Iowa, go back home, become a history teacher, because um, his business has has been gutted. And uh, the boats actually that I had seen probably belonged to uh, Omar Bodana, who he mm. owns a boat rental place uh, there. And he was a little bit more optimistic. You know, he was saying that, uh, you know, boats can be replaced, but people's lives cannot. And uh, he was thinking that because the storm surge came in so fast that some of his boats were actually salvageable. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that was in Bonita Springs in particular. And uh, and just talking to different people who survived the storm while living out on the water. Some people try to mm. save their boats on the water as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the details from the video game arcade business owner rather nine years to build up that business two million dollars in inventory I mean, it's, it's just heartbreaking to to see that that scale of damage now you we should note uh we're a reporter in uh, for wgcu in, in fort myers for a number of years before um coming to wsf so you kind of have a sense of the area it must have been quite a strange sight to see it in the aftermath of the storm based on your experience of having lived there and reported there uh before that yeah, it was, uh, I, I don't think I was really prepared for it. I just knew I have friends in Southwest Florida. I worked there for three years. These are my colleagues and my friends. And I knew as soon as uh, I saw some of the wreckage that number one, that they were going to need um, help just covering the scope of the storm as a reporter, but also giving them some relief because they themselves have been affected so harshly. You know, these are really amazing, strong reporters and hosts who are doing uh, amazing work because uh, some of the people who I spoke to who are you know who are residents of the of southwest florida don't have power don't have access mm. to information haven't been able to reach the internet and so radio and you know either battery powered radio or um i forget uh, the term of the but anyways a radio is the way that they mm. are able to get information and wgcu has been putting out uh, all the live press conferences of the governor and the local uh, officials and so that's the way that we're you know that they have been getting information out to the community and so it's really a the service to the people right now that they're doing there. So um, I wanted to to jump in and help, of course. For sure. Now, further inland too, I mean, the, just the, the scope of the storm is, is pretty staggering. We've, of course, been transfixed by the images that we've been seeing. Uh, you and other reporters have been taking photographs and talking to residents affected in those coastal communities, but the damage stretches far inland with flooding in Highlands, DeSoto and Hardy counties. What are those residents experiencing? How are they coping? Yeah, so uh, WUSF reporter Gabriella Paul has been covering these areas, and according to her reporting, her reporting, um, Ian deposited unprecedented rain and flood waters, um, basically in southwest Florida through central Florida inland. And um, it's been more than a week since Ian passed, but standing water is still a problem for those counties that you mentioned, and uh, mm -hmm. the flooding in some of these areas is delaying power restoration, making some roads inaccessible to travelers, and and it's actually getting in the way of damage. Uh, of surveillance. And so zeroing in on, let's say, Highlands County, as of yesterday, 200 customers remained without power there. Also, the citrus industry in Highlands estimates a 50% crop loss, totaling more than $40 million in damages. And yeah. then uh, in, in looking at Hardy County yesterday, 99 roads were closed or rerouted due to severe flooding, sinkholes, or bridge collapses. So they are definitely being affected as well, not just the coastal communities. Yeah, some staggering numbers there. Jessica Mazaros reporting uh, with WUSF on the impacts of the storm. You can send us a tweet. We're at Florida Roundup. One of our listeners tweeted us earlier just a, a note about the power outages. 100,000 customers, uh, not 100,000 people. So it's a good point to make. Those are customers could represent many more people who are still without power mm -hmm. and waiting to be reconnected. Yeah, that's right. 305-995-1800 statewide live now here on the Florida Roundup. Tweet us at Florida Roundup. Roger in Pinellas Park has been holding. Hey, Roger, you're on the radio. Go ahead. Thanks for taking the call. Absolutely tragic loss of lives and property. And uh, 
we have to look at the root cause and reconsider how the coastal communities want to zone these very vulnerable uh, pieces of real estate. We used to be barrier islands, now have like 12-story condos on them. Uh, you know, as we as we put the resources together to rebuild, it's also time to rezone so that uh, this is a more sustainable situation. 90 miles south this time, next time it could be right here. Yeah, Roger, you're so right about that. Jessica Mazaros, WUSF, this has been a question for some time in Florida, and it's only getting ever more urgent with each devastating storm. How we look at building along the coast, particularly in vulnerable areas. You cover this issue. What are your thoughts about the way the state is responding or, or maybe not responding to, to this big existential problem we, we have here in Florida? Well, I think that tourism is obviously one of the biggest uh, economic drivers of this state. And people love to live by the water. You know, people, I, I spoke to a lot of people who stayed in their condos on Fort Myers Beach. I spoke to people who stayed on their your boats living on the water. I mean, I think that as long as people are going to love to live on it, it's really up to the people to change their minds of, about where they want to live because um, they're really the drivers of that economy themselves, you know, coming to, to visit and live along the coast. Um, that's that's up to them, I think. And so as soon as as soon as the money stops coming in for that, then maybe uh, the state might consider uh, changing. I, I don't know. I, I think that's it's really up to the the residents. Yeah, um, let's go to David uh, in Newport, Richie. Uh, David, you're on the air. What's in your mind? Uh, yes, as I was telling the, the fellow that answered the phone, I was curious if you guys or any of your listeners had seen the footage that I saw on TV in a news blip where uh, some FEMA representatives, and they had a shirt on with FEMA up on the uh, chest, and there was a, at least two young ladies there and a, some people in a crew from like a rescue unit trying to get into a neighborhood. And they were being held back by uh, DeSantis's entourage saying, no, the governor is going to hold a press conference down here. And this was at a time when they were still searching for bodies. You know, did anybody see that but me? <laughs> that is some footage I believe we're aware of. Um, let me just kind of turn uh, back to Mike Braun, if if you're still on, Mike, I mean, how has the response been to the the, the recovery and some of the uh, the tours by the governor and the and the president has have have residents felt about those? I have not heard. I have not heard anybody complaining about it. I, I have heard the same thing this gentleman did, and we're, we are looking into that as well. Um, and I think there were more people who were. Um, uh, protesting, so to speak, when the uh, president was here, but, but you know what that pro that protest is about. Um, I haven't heard much complaining about what the governor has been doing in terms of press conferences. Uh, that kind of stuff usually is slow to come out. Uh, I think they, they the fact that they got access back to Pine Island quickly kind of mitigated a lot of issues. Uh, people were complaining they weren't getting attention. So, I mean, it's there's good and bad in, in this kind of situation. It's kind of subjective in terms of, am I going to complain about something or should I just let them work? So, but I have heard the thing the gentleman talked about. We're still checking into that. Yeah. Uh, you can send us your tweets. We're at Florida Roundup. Give us a call, 305-995-1800. Talking about the response to Hurricane Ian, the recovery and how that's going We've been speaking with reporters covering the aftermath of Ian. Uh, Mike Braun, Managing Editor with WGCU Fort Myers. Mike, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. And Jessica Mazaros, reporter with WSF in Tampa. Jessica, thank you so much as well. The Jacksonville area is full of entrepreneurs who have grown businesses, creating thousands of jobs. On First Coast Success, we highlight these leaders and the ventures they've created. I'm Karen Bruni Mathis with The Daily Record. Join me for First Coast Success the final Monday of every month on WJCT's First Coast Connect. Made possible by First Horizon.
Today in Music History from Anthology on 89.9 HD3, October 7th, 1969, the Youngbloods Get Together is certified gold. Love is but a song we sing Fears that we will die Today in Music History, sponsored by Grassroots Natural Market in Five Points. Family owned since 2006 and featuring organic produce, supplements, and all the groceries on your list. Taxes, the environment, energy, education, health care. A state that's gaining nearly a thousand new residents every day and the ongoing quest for resources to meet that growing need. These are critical issues that affect everyone in Florida, and they're just some of the issues we follow every week on Capital Report. It's your direct connection to what's going on in Tallahassee and what it means to you. Tonight at 6.30 on WJCT News 89.9. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Florida family-owned and operated since 1936, and a proud supporter of public radio. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, always be celebrating. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, Hurricane Ian brought with it massive storm surge, but it also dumped a lot of rain across the state. Communities from DeSoto County to Seminole County have flooded. We're joined now by Alan Harris. He heads up the emergency response efforts in Seminole County, and he joins us now. Alan, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. I understand you had an emergency to attend to this morning. Uh, Just tell me what's going on in Seminole County at the moment. We're putting a, a dam around uh, Lake Monroe Hospital. That's a trauma two center here in Seminole County. The hospital itself is high and dry, but the water was encroaching. As it was it swallowed the entire north parking lot, and it was getting near the structure. So, in uh, we just wanted to be real careful, and that's why we went ahead and started the uh, work with the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, FEMA and the National Guard to build a, a, a dam around the backside of the uh, the hospital. That's uh, for a couple of different things. One, so it doesn't continue to rise, which it is now forecasted to do. And then yeah. uh, number two, uh, if we get any additional rain next week, we don't want to exasperate the, the issue. We want to prevent it from you know, moving closer to the hospital. That's yeah, interesting that you know the rains stopped a while back, but those water levels levels are still rising, right? So that's a challenge for emergency managers, for residents in uh, Seminole County and other counties affected by this flooding. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, pretty much just us in Osceola is what I'm hearing that is still having you know uh, we're in response mode. Uh, other places, uh, you know, certainly hit very very hard, but in recovery mode already, and in some places. People going to somewhat back to you know normal, being at least able to get in their their homes and, and see what the damage is and things like that. Meanwhile, up here, people are just now being damaged. So um, and and uh, they're experiencing, of course, this this a long wait of this water just watching it slowly rise. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a sense of how many rescues you've had to carry out over the last week or so? Uh, about uh, two hundred total. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in in the Geneva, the uh, the Sanford, uh, and the Winter Springs areas. So, um, so the, and that of course includes a lot of different people. So there's a lot more people, of course. But those mm-hmm. that would be the number of calls, the number of incidents where we've gone out. And in some cases, it's you know a family. In some cases, it's a large, you know, much larger than that. Now, uh, flooding is something that you find, you know, around the sort of the rivers in uh, Seminole County in the aftermath of big storms. It's happened before, but were you prepared for the amount of water that has has come through over the last week? I, I don't know that anyone can be 100% prepared for, a, you know, this is basically what they're calling a 500-year flood. There's, mm-hmm. there's no historical records for this. In fact, right now we're writing down data to put in historical documents because there has been uh, never a, a flood of this in recorded history. So we're we're making um, uh, visual uh, looks at the different parts of the community to see how it is affected 
at these levels. We can do a lot of modeling on computers and things, but uh, to actually see it, it is, you know, it's quite different. Yeah. What's the outlook for folks who are out of their homes at the moment, maybe sheltering elsewhere? When do you think they might be able to go back? So it depends on where they are. So the Little Taiva River is actually coming down uh, quite well. So it is now in, in uh, getting into action stage. Uh, so, you know, most of the homes now are uh, empty of water. It is in people's, of course, yards and things like that. But it isn't quite... Um, quite uh, that kind of thing. And um, so, and then other areas of the community, uh, Winter Springs, Obito, places like that, uh, you know, that's started to go down as well, but on the St. John's River, it continues to go up and up uh, right now. Uh, look, you know, thankfully at Lake Harney, we have crested, but that steady, it's just a super slow, uh, steady decrease. What do people need to know, uh, you know, if they are experiencing some flooding or they at this point they now need to get out of their homes? Like what, what information do you need them to, to know at this point? So, uh, you know, if you're going to go back in your home, be very, very careful. This water is very dangerous. Um, it's gone over uh, all kinds of different um, land um, things, things along the way. Uh, so there's hazardous materials in there. Um, it, it also the, you know, animals that, uh, that have moved or had to be displaced, uh, snakes, uh, alligators, we've even seen some pictures of alligators in people's <laughs> neighborhoods and stuff like that. So if you are going to go back and check on your house, please do that during the day. Uh, please do it when it's, it's very clear to see things so that you can react effectively, um, and, uh, and, and take special care. Uh, don't, you know, don't go up to your waist in, in this kind of water. Um, it, any cuts, anything like that can, can, you know, be very, very bad for you later on. So we don't want that to be the case. Um, if you are uh, at a place where your water has come out of your house, uh, then that's, you know, that's the very difficult part of this. And I've worked a lot of different types of disasters. Floods are, are the worst. I mean, they, uh, every heirloom, everything that you, you know, treasured can, is now soaked uh, so removing all of that, removing the drywall, removing the carpets and things like that. So mold and build, mildew doesn't build up in your homes. Right. Yeah, it's going to be a, a pretty miserable time for some folks, no doubt. We've been speaking with Alan Harris. He heads up emergency response efforts in Seminole County about the flooding in his county. Alan, thanks so much and good luck with the uh, recovery efforts. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Lots of tweets coming into Florida Roundup. Here's one from Carlos. Earlier, a guest mentioned new people moving into the area, in the Fort Myers area, he means. Wouldn't a timely evacuation order have helped those people understand the gravity of the situation? We'll continue to follow that story. Give us a call statewide, meantime, 305-995-1800. You know, uh, in the aftermath of Ian Matthew, Governor DeSantis put politics aside, at least for a little while, to ask for federal help for the recovery. Uh, yeah, that's right, um, Melissa. In a rare moment of bipartisanship, DeSantis thanking President Joe Biden and the president praising the governor's handling of the storm during a visit to the Fort Myers area earlier in the week to survey the storm damage. And I want to thank uh, President Biden and Jill Biden, as well as Administrator Deanne Criswell for, for coming down here, looking at uh, really, really significant damage uh, here in, in Lee County, and, and there's other places where you have uh, really significant damage as well outside of this general area. Some of these folks, they are uh, thankful that they have so many people that are there supporting, and that's really, you only get there if it's a team effort. So, Mr. President, welcome to Florida. We appreciate uh, working together across various levels of government. Well, Gov, uh, the first lady, thank you very much for the hospitality. And uh, the county's hardest hit. The federal government, at the at the request of the of the governor, in the very beginning said we'll cover 100 percent of the cleanup cost, the debris cost, which is billions of dollars before it's all over. If you think about it, that we're going to pay 100 percent for 30 days. I just extended for another 30 days, and the governor and I talked. I think he's going to have to come back and ask for some more beyond those 60 days. Now, the governor is receiving both praise and some criticism for his hurricane response effort. 
ABC Action News Tampa reporter Michael Paluska talked with residents in Arcadia, DeSoto County. They told him they were frustrated that they had to stop ferrying supplies to people in need while the governor was touring the area. Meantime, in an interview with the conservative media outlet Florida's Voice, DeSantis criticized national media outlets for using the hurricane to, quote, pursue a political agenda, he said, unquote. We're discussing the politics of storm recovery right now, and we want to hear from you. How effective do you think the state and federal response to Hurricane Ian has been? What do you think are the most critical needs? 305-995-1800. Tweet us at Florida Roundup as we welcome Bruce Ritchie. He covers Florida energy and environment for Politico. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Melissa. Thank you for having me on. Good to have you. So what role, if any, do you think politics might have played in the evacuation orders in Lee County? That's where most of the criticism has centered. Some people thought the order came there too late. Um, the role of politics. I'm, I'm not sure that politics was a role on, on when to evacuate, but the, um, uh, you know, the, the, there was a ch- uh, changing cone over the um, over the days leading up to, to uh, Hurricane Ian coming ashore on last Wednesday, um, and and the the governor has been very quick post storm to push back against questions on whether the evacuation orders in Lee County came soon enough, and um, and 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 the governor's supporters as well have pushed back very quickly that that it's the media blaming the governor. There's sort of been a blame game for the blame game going on, um, mm-hmm. and there, there's no doubt that the National Hurricane Center was warning that this storm was very dangerous, and threatening to the Lee County as late as Monday night, and the cone showed the the Cayo Costa area, the the Berry Island where the where the hurricane came ashore being within the cone throughout the week, but the uh, Lee County officials waited until Tuesday morning to issue limited evacuations and Tuesday afternoon to limit to issue more widespread uh, evacuations. And so, and people, reporters questioning, well, was this enough time? Shouldn't have been sooner. The governor has been very quickly to say, stop blaming, we're working on helping people and, and, and has turned it on the media. Right. He, he even said national media, which he called regime media, an apparent dig on national outlets that he he was apparently trying to insinuate they are pulling for the Joe Biden administration. What about the governor's response to the criticism, bl- blaming weather forecasts and the, he even said the national media were rooting for the hurricane to go hit Tampa Bay? He said that, and uh, I, I don't know where he's getting that from. He, I mean, he it seemed to be um, elaborating on him saying that the media was stationed in Tampa Bay on Monday when it looked like the storm would be hitting there. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's, I mean, the media is asking questions about, uh, you know, was there enough time for people to get out? There's a lot to unpack after a storm in terms of how data is interpreted, how evacuation orders are given, how people interpret those evacuation orders. It's very tricky when a storm is going up the West Coast parallel and you know it's gonna to turn to, to say, well, where is it gonna turn? Just like, just like Hurricane Charlie a decade earlier. I, that year is emblazoned on my memory, Bruce. There were four hurricanes that year. Uh, Charlie, Francis, Ivan, and Jean, I think all in 2004. We're speaking with Bruce Ritchie of Politico, Florida. He covers environment and energy issues for the state. And we're going to go to your calls here in just a bit. You are listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Well, let's go to Alphonse in Orlando. Alphonse, you're on the air. Hi, guys, and thank you for having me. Um, my comment is just that the officials in, in Lee County and the surrounding areas took too long to uh, inform the newly arriving people who've never experienced a hurricane before uh, and those people who 
would need more time to evacuate of the dire prediction the storm was um, was uh, projecting in order for them to get out of the way. Uh, yes, we have. you had new people in your community. You also had elderly who would need to help transportation. You also had people who were too poor to move themselves out of the town. Um, mm-hmm. If you take example of uh, uh, other hurricanes uh, that were coming to the Biloxi, like Ida or Katrina in New Orleans, there were right. ample time for some people to move out. Lee County gave those people less than 36 hours to move. It's not politics. It's common sense. Alphonse, thanks so much for weighing in there. Uh, Bruce, I mean, that seems to be a theme that's come through from some folks. Obviously, as you pointed out, the governor pushing back and saying, look, uh, officials were dealing with the information they had at hand. And then the other thing you will hear, too, and we heard uh, from from our WGCU reporter at the first part of the show that some people decide to stay put. They decide to ride out the storm. So a complex situation for uh, emergency officials, but politics tends to creep its way in, you know, the more time passes after the, a storm has gone through. Well, <clears throat> the governor has just been very quick to to jump in and defend Lee County officials, their, their decision. I mean, that's the governor's choice to to say that they did, they did fine with what they have. Uh, I mean, in, in this case, they're not, reporters are not blaming the governor by asking the question. They're, they're, they're just asking if he goes along with it. I think in the end, some reporter was persistent enough to, to push through the DeSantis defense and to say, but, but aren't you going to take a look at it and, and determine whether it could have been better? And, and DeSantis said, well, yeah, after every storm, we do that. But, but for right now, the media is, is not being helpful. So, um, hmm. Well, David in Fort Lauderdale has thoughts. Hi, David. You're on the air. Hi, guys. You know, I'm not going to be uh, very um, nice with, with this particular call. It's not going to be very congenial. There's no reason those 120 people or more should be should be deceased. You have the National Guard. You have the Coast Guard. You have the weather forecast. You knew it was going to hit that area. They build right up on the water in southwest Florida. So they're not prepared for any kind of hurricane. Even Charlie did a lot of damage. This should have been avoided. I mean, the governor has a responsibility to, to protect the citizens of the state of Florida. He didn't do it with COVID, and he didn't do it with this hurricane. There's a Florida statute I looked up called 252.46. A couple of paragraphs down, it, it, it specifically says that the governor is responsible for emergency evacuation of all civilians if there's a catastrophic, catastrophic event happening, whether it be weather or other. And he didn't live up to that. And no one's talking about that. I mean, he could have mm. really put his, he could have really put his foot down and made a mandatory evacuation, send the Coast Guard, send the National Guard in and get all those people out of there because it's a disaster. David, I can hear the emotion in your voice. I appreciate the call. May tweets the show. The buck stops with the governor. Ian was known to be a huge, strong storm. The evacuation order came late. More buses could have helped. DeSantis wants to blame everyone except the man in the mirror. Uh, Bruce, we're coming up against a break. Quickly, your thoughts about this, because the governor's getting both praise and criticism we need to. I always hear that the I'm I'm always hearing that the local emergency management directors in in the counties are the ones responsible for ordering evacuations. And this week, the the state emergency management director, Kevin Guthrie, said he will never. Bruce, Bruce Ritchie from Politico. Sorry to cut you off, but I so appreciate your insights. Next, can we get more resilient in Florida? We'll be right back. How do you decide what can be copyrighted? Is this a ripoff? What is ripoff? What is original? What is authentic? I'm Kimberly Adams, a Supreme Court case that might just change the art business. Next time on Marketplace. Tonight at 6, here on WJCT News 89.9. The final season of the show, Dairy Girls, pairs the coming of age of the main characters with the passage of Northern Ireland's Good Friday Agreement. 
The creator, who based the show on her own youth, only realised the connection in hindsight. We didn't think about much beyond ourselves, really, as, as most teenagers tend to do, you know. A conversation with Lisa McGee this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Starting at 4 on WJCT News 89.9. On the next Fresh Air, to help shed light on the protests in Iran, we'll speak with Iranian-American scholar Pardis Madavi, who was once dragged out of a Tehran classroom by morality police while lecturing about her book on Iran's sexual revolution. Join us. Today at 1 on WJCT News 89.9. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can visit 125 stores throughout Florida or shop online at abcfws.com. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for being with us. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Communities in southwest Florida continue to recover from the destruction of Hurricane Ian, including barrier islands that bore the brunt of the storm. A temporary bridge to Pine Island was opened Wednesday. That island had been largely cut off from the mainland for a week. Yeah, some good news there, Matt. Well, with the threat of climate change driving sea level rise and more powerful storms, the questions are mounting about how these communities should rebuild and whether barrier islands should be built on at all. Answering those questions may not be that easy. For more, we turn to Cynthia Barnett. She's environmental journalist in residence at UF's College of Journalism and Communications. In an article for Politico titled Time to Reinvent Florida Once Again, she links Hurricane Ian to other climate reckonings like epic floods in Yellowstone and extreme heat in the Swiss Alps. Well, Cynthia Barnett, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me on. At the top of your piece, you write, In Florida, a real place with human roots that rebut the clueless takes that we can all just up and move, the way forward begins with an understanding that the sunny, paradisiacal vision of the state is both carefully constructed and fairly new. Could you explain what you mean by that? So I think my statement of a real place with human roots that rebut the clueless takes was my reaction as a Floridian I think that's my reaction to so many people and and experts outside of Florida who who when they talk about what we should do make it sound as if it would be easy to depopulate our our barrier islands and our coastlines and and this isn't an easy conversation it'll be a decades long conversation but the other important thing to remember is that it it will happen this migration inward from the coast will happen mm-hmm. and it it can either be in these instant multi-billion dollar catastrophes or it can be planned and and thought about and worked on together with policies and subsidies that give people and and builders incentives to move into the interior. It'll be a decades-long conversation. There's also a lot of history that people may not necessarily be aware of, right? And you write about the previous inhabitants of southwest Florida, like the Calusa who lived on Pine Island. What are some lessons for us about how they responded to extreme weather events? So one thing I think is really helpful to think about Southwest Florida was capital of the Calusa people who were living on the coast there and on the islands when the Spanish arrived in the 16th century. During their 1500 years on the coast, they moved their homes, they moved public buildings from the ground level to the tops of shell mounds, but they also moved inland over time, as did uh, many of the native people in northern parts of the Gulf of Mexico. And this is all kind of fascinating history that I think can be foundational Mm -hmm. when we, as a state, talk about our own responses to catastrophes on the coast. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Cape Coral, uh, that development and the impact it's had on the region's ability to withstand some of these extreme weather events. 
Sure. So Cape Coral, it was actually a sham development in the beginning, dreamed up by these pitchmen turned developers, Leonard and Julius Rosen, who bought the 1,700-acre mangrove swamp where the Caloosahatchee meets Charlotte Harbor. The quick answer is that they kind of made up a dream city, and then they made that city come true. But some of the devastating development practices, including, uh, you know, tearing out all the mangroves that would have protected that area and those inland, including Fort Myers from storm surge, tearing out wetlands, paving over wetlands. So all of these things that were done not only in Cape Coral, but across Florida, really halted the ability to give floodwaters a place to go and to recharge aquifers. So a really ironic part of the Cape Coral story, which is flooded now, is that during some of the recent droughts, Cape Coral has actually not had enough water to be able to rely on the fire hydrants in times of fire. So it is this really terrible ricocheting crisis between too much water and too little. You note too that some of the reactions to destruction wrought by Hurricane Ian are that barrier islands, even cities along the coast, shouldn't be rebuilt. But that isn't politically tenable. And you write, and I'm quoting here, the hard work ahead is to understand that the nightmare of Hurricane Ian is likely to spin into a new Florida dream and help make sure it is a better one. What does that future look like for places that were destroyed by the hurricane, do you think? I really think that's the important question we're facing now. And you mentioned my point that it's not easy to just say we cannot develop there. I mean, it, maybe that would be ideal, but the truth is the politics of Florida sort of will not allow that. So the other thing to look at is Louisiana and some of the fantastic work that was done along the Louisiana coast in the wake of Katrina really was destroyed all over again after Hurricane Ida came in as a Category 4 storm. And so all of these ideas that there is kind of a magical answer on the coast are not politically realistic. The other thing you hear a lot is the word retreat and managed retreat. And that sounds very wise, but I think Americans recoil from the word retreat. The way I have been talking to people about it and, and thinking about it is, is more an idea of rewilding the coast, you know, how to rewild the coast and give people incentives to move inland, right? And I think if you talk with people about it in terms of returning a wild coast, it's a lot stickier than talking about retreat. I'm speaking with environmental journalist Cynthia Barnett about her article for Politico, Time to Reinvent Florida Once Again, The Destruction of Hurricane Ian Also Offers Opportunity for a More Sustainable Future. You are listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Not everyone can afford to move. Evacuation itself is hard enough for many people. Where do people who don't have a lot of resources fit into a rebuilt southwest Florida I think that's part of the better Florida dream. Like even some of the communities we're talking about and, you know, Sanibel was an example of one of the only communities that ever put the brakes on growth. They developed the Sanibel plan in the 1970s that reduced the number of homes that could be built there that didn't allow condo towers, they didn't allow corporate chains, they preserved more than 50% of the island in wild. They did all of those things and it didn't protect them from a hurricane this big. The other part of that story is they did all of those things and it wasn't an affordable place for people and people who worked on the island. So they've, you know, they've tried to do some really progressive affordable housing programs there. But um, most of the people I knew who worked on the island, and that even includes scientists who might work at the Ding Darling Refuge, they weren't living on the island. So this is 
you know, one way to think about Hurricane Ian, and, and this is, of course, when the emergency at hand is over, I think those are some of the things that we can think about in terms of a new Florida dream by thinking differently about development and in developing the interiors and leaving um, more of the coast wild. I think you can, you know, really focus on affordable housing as one of the goals of that new dream. I think it has to be. What does a resilient community look like to you? Well, I will quickly give the example of Babcock Ranch that is a, you know, sustainably built community about 12 miles inland from Fort Myers, 100% solar community. Um, This was built as a green community. And actually, I know there are several people who have moved from the southwest Florida coast into Babcock took a direct hit from Ian and had very little damage. I think there's a, a small bit of building damage, but, but no flooding, which is, which is very interesting given so much of the interior flooding that's happened elsewhere in the state. So there are examples of sustainability that we can look at. There is power in sustainably planned communities. So I think that's one worth thinking of It's also worth noting that there are a lot of cattle ranches remaining around there and lots of conservation land where water has a place to go. Um, Right now, those ranches and a lot of those conservation lands are holding water and places that don't have as many wild lands um, are, are really dealing with a lot of flooding. Cynthia Barnett is the environmental journalist in residence at the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Her piece for Politico about the impact of Hurricane Ian is titled Time to Reinvent Florida Once Again, the Destruction of Hurricane Ian also offers opportunity for a more sustainable future. Thanks, Cynthia. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening. The show from WJCT Public Media in Jackson, WLRN Public Media in Miami. I'm Matthew Petty. And I'm Melissa Ross. The Florida Roundup returns next Friday at noon. Have a good weekend. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com.